This is Appalachian Vibes Radio Show from WNCW. I'm your host, Amanda Baki. Appalachian Vibes is a show dedicated to challenging the expectations and celebrating the diversity of music, art, and literature created in Appalachia. Appalachian Vibes is brought to you by Galax Tourism, made possible by Virginia is for Lovers. My guest this week is Southern fiction writer Patty Fry Meredith from Galax, Virginia, currently residing in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We discuss her latest novel, South of Heaven, set in Carthage, North Carolina. Patty tells the story of two estranged sisters forced to sink or swim under the same leaky roof. That's the next hour on Appalachian Vibes from WNCW. My name is Patty Meredith. I just wrote a book called South of Heaven. Um, I'll show you the cover. Here it is. This is it, South of Heaven. Um, it's uh, a novel about a family that ha- is, is a is sort of a broken family. There's a lot of, um, there's been a lot of secrets and a lot of uh, disenchantment with each other. You know? and And there's estrangement. You know, the sisters are, the grown sisters are pretty, pretty distant, pretty estranged. But um, of course, you know, something happens that makes them have to come back together and weather their storms. And so that's kind of what it's about. Is this about my life? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't know how to break it to you. I didn't know how to tell you before. <laughs> You're so good at this. <laughs> Wow. So where did you get the idea for the story? You know, it's weird. It's like um, I was at the Appalachian Writers Workshop in Hyman, Kentucky um, years ago, years and years ago. And I'd gone there because Lee Smith was teaching there and Sheila K. Adams and um, a lot of people I really admired were going to be there doing workshops. And so I went and And I had this other story that I was uh, working on then and, you know, the one that I was really planning on showing them and getting feedback from them and everything. And um, at the last minute, when I was doing this free write during one of the workshops, this scene came to me of of a young guy, a young boy in a stand of bamboo. You know, like uh, just, you know, that bamboo that just grows crazy and tall and thick. And and he was in this bamboo and he was pretending like that he was looking for his father who was missing in Vietnam. And he was saying that he, you know, he did this a lot that he got he got he'd go in the bamboo and he'd pretend like he found his daddy and his daddy would be so happy to see him. So I knew that there was a young guy who's a young man whose father was missing in Vietnam and that 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 was the beginning of the story and that was Dean that was the first scene but the weird thing was I knew that that bamboo was in my grandmother's backyard in um, North Carolina you know it was like because she had bamboo in her backyard in Carthage North Carolina and so I knew the story was set there which was odd because all the stories I've ever written have been set like in Galax around there you know sort of the fictional mountain towns of of Galax and 
Um, but this particular story started with the bamboo and Dean, and I knew that was going to be in Carthage, North Carolina, where my mother and father grew up. And so that's where it started. And so I wrote the scene and I read it at that workshop on the night where you have to stand up and read. It's so awful. It's so scary. And but I got really good response from it. And so, you know, that just motivates you you know, to, to keep on with that story. Um, and so, and I had not gotten great response from the other story. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, okay, I think I'll just stick with this kid in the bamboo. And his name was Dean. And I, from there, you just try to find, figure out, well, who, who's your mother? You know, who, who are your people? <laughs> just like you do when you meet people, right? So, um, oh, so that's, wow, where that's interesting. Story, yeah, that's where the story came from your process was such that you're like getting to know this fictional character that you're also creating. It's, it's odd because you start creating them and then they take over. And I, I feel that way about all the characters. I feel, um, I feel, I feel that way about Fern, his mother, um, her sister, Leona, uh, Belle, their great aunt. they are they are very real to me. And I think that's why I was with a book club in Galax uh, this past week. And there is nothing better than to sit with people and have them talk about your imaginary people like they would a neighbor. You know, like I couldn't believe when Fern did that. And <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I know I couldn't believe it either, you know. <laughs> but it's just it that is the greatest joy to have your imaginary people because they are real to you, you know, they are real to you. And, but for them to be real to other people is just so, so wonderful and fun. That's so interesting. How, how do you feel like the characters start revealing themselves to you? How, how does that come through? Because I'm a writer, also a songwriter primarily, um, I do some personal narrative type writing also. So I, I kind of am always drawing from something that actually happened or sometimes I'm telling a story that I just imagine through other characters, but it's really myself kind of speaking through other characters. And I found character development to be really complicated to really be able to bring the depth of, of somebody with a backstory and with, you know, um, pros and cons to their personality. And it's just so, uh, it seems very difficult to me to, to build an entire person. How does that happen for you? It's interesting. It's, um, I, again, I am the, I am just the poster child for workshops. I mean, from the, from years ago, I've, I've, I've sought out workshops, mentors. Um, uh, when I lived, when we, my husband and I lived here and lived in Chapel Hill before back in the nineties. And I went to the Duke continuing ed uh, workshop with George Ann Eubanks. And she introduced me to Darnell Arnault, um, another Appalachian writer that I'm going to be sending you information on. <laughs> but anyway, Darnell, uh, does a thing with character where she get you have all these que- you have these questions. What's in their dresser drawer? What's in their pocket? What do they know? What's their secret? What do they know that they're not they don't tell anybody? You know, 
think prompts that get you going. The other thing is when you stay with a story long enough, and I've been working, people say, how long did it take you to write this book? And I'm like, 66 years, my whole entire life, <laughs> you know, it's like all the experience, all the thoughts, all the everything has gone into this. And, and they, and you'll be writing a scene, you'll be, you know, doing your daydream thing and getting it down and imagining this and imagining that. And then one of them will say something that you're just like, wow, where did that come from? You know, like, okay, I heard that. And then, you, and it's, it's kind of a balance between you being in control and your character being in control because you, you know, you, you kind of want some, I have that left brain, right thing, brain thing, trying to, to work with each, with each side all the time. But the characters, uh, I think one of the hardest characters in my book to to do was Leona, Fern's sister. And Leona could very easily slip into being a stereotype. She is um, a person who really wants to be in society. Like she lives in Raleigh, her husband's a doctor, and she really wants to be like that. I mean, she wants to be a stereotype. <laughs> you know, that's kind of her goal to be a stereotype. Okay. But, um, then she did some things in the writing that was like, okay, I see you, Leona. I see you. She's like, and, don't put me in a corner. Yeah, I know. Don't put me in a corner. <laughs> and and knowing, you know, knowing their backstory, knowing what um knowing what these sisters, Fern and Leona, how they grew up and what they went through and how that makes them who they are. And it it it's weird. They went through the same thing, the same hard things, but one went one way and one went the other. And, but with the characters, just sticking with them and listening to them. And, and that's the only thing I can think of to say, but um, Darnielle, those questions that she has, and I'll send you that list. I've got it somewhere. They're, they're wonderful because not all of them, you know, you don't, not all of it, but one or two will just be like, they'll just make things happen. And I think, think it's kind of, I think Darnell's kind of magical. And I think the system is kind of magical. <laughs> so it's magic, really. Yeah, it sounds like magic. I really, I, w- I really want to read your book now. Um, you have excellent reviews online. People are really enjoying this. Oh my God, I have the best friends in the whole entire world. I mean, this is then you have a lot of friends because you've you've quite a few people who have been reviewing and rating. I do. They I have the best friends in the world. And that's another thing that I tell people too. It's like if anybody's out there wanting to write or whatever, you know, the it's the fun part is the people you meet on this journey, going to the workshops, going to the uh you know, the Southern Festival for the book. And in Nashville, every uh, yeah, it's every year now. I think they had a little pandemic blip, but you know, just um, just the people you meet, and it's a supportive group. Writing is so solitary, you know. You know, it takes being alone in your space by yourself with these people in your head, but having a community of read of people where you can say, "Will you read this chapter? Does this make sense?" Or will you read the whole book? I had friends who read the whole book, but people have been very receptive, and I think too, my characters are. Um, they're just ordinary people, you know, they're just kind of people that, um, 
you can kind of easily relate to there. Even though this story is set in Carthage, um, I grew up in Galax. I am Galax, you know, the small town that shaped me, that is is such a part, no matter what I write or where I put it, I have to, it's, it's Appalachian, you know, it's like the community is um very very important you the the people in your in your circle and is huge everybody knows you you know everybody else you hear their stories you know their stories you know what they've lived with and um it's that's a big part of it too so what's Carthage North Carolina like Carthage is the the county seat of Moore County uh, my grandmothers both live there. And really, I think I'm, I, I'll joke that my dad and mom were the only people in their families who ever went outside the city limits. It's like <laughs> it's like my family came from Scotland. They came to North Carolina to Moore County and nobody left until daddy did. <laughs> it's like, they just didn't go anywhere. Not a curious people. But um, he went to Virginia Tech. On the GI Bill, and so um, he went. So to did my granddaddy. That's interesting. Really? Oh, that's cool. Okay, yeah. yeah. Daddy went to Tech. He played baseball and basketball, and he met friends. He met people from Galax. Jack Gwynn, his best friend. And so when Daddy graduated, uh, when they graduated, Jack's family gave Daddy a job, and so that's how we got to Galax. But and my dad and mother, but they they both embraced it. You know, dad was like all in with the mountains from the get go. And um, he always said it was the people in Galax that made it mm-hmm. so special and different. He really, he really loved it there. Oh, wow. So what, what's what been your journey to get to the point? You said it took 66 years <laughs> it to, did. to write this. Not, I mean, really your whole life experience. So what's been your journey through writing? Um, I graduated in horticulture, which meant that uh, I couldn't find a job, right? So <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> My degree is in classical guitar. So there you go. That's yeah, equally as enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're writing. <laughs> um, and after, after college, I got a job at a television station um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, a great woman there, Toby Pate. You know, she hired me because I knew my alphabet and I could file slides, you know, so it was kind of touch and go there for a while, but I caught on and I've always written, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I wrote a story about Captain John Smith and I made it funny. You know, I had, I just made it funny. And I remember Mrs. Randall took me out in the hall and she was like, don't ever do that again. (laughs) But it didn't, it didn't stop me. I, I was, I, 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 I was at that, even at that age, I loved notebooks and pens. And I have all these notebooks from, um, from growing up, you know, all that, every one of my little poems is in a different color ink. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can just imagine how bad the poems are, but just, you know, all that. But anyway, when I started at channel three and um, Chattanooga, Toby gave me commercial copy to write. And so then it was presentations and then it was stuff. And then I, you know, then I would took a, I took creative writing classes at Virginia Tech. Um, but um, I didn't have much success with that, but I was trying. 
And then in Chattanooga, I took some classes, you know, at the university there, uh, UNC Chattanooga and UTC Chattanooga. I get confused. And then um, I've just always been drawn to it. I've always wanted to. I've always tried to to write stories. And I think the journey has been, I, and in Chattanooga, I met my husband, Lee, and he was a news director then. And so we that marrying a news director at a television station is like, you know, just pack your bags. Oh, you're crazy. Yeah. All you're going to do is move. We've lived every, we lived in Chattanooga. We moved here. Then we moved to uh, Charlotte. Then we moved to Columbia, South Carolina. Then we were in um, Huntsville, Alabama. And then we were in Memphis and we lived in Baton Rouge. He he became general manager at some point in there. And and it's been great. It's been wonderful. And I and but everywhere I've lived, I've found writing writing groups. Writing groups and and that's kind of been great too. And the other thing I think that's helped a lot on as far as the journey is when you're away from somewhere, you can really see it. Like when you're not, like, if I had been living in Carthage, I don't think I could have ever written this book. Or if I was living in Galax, I don't think I could have, because it, something about the distance huh. really helps. But I, um, I, I guess never giving up. I think that's part of it too. And and it 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 wasn't hard not to give up because I just really like to write. You know, I just really like to have do make stories and characters and think about the think about why people do what they do and how they deal with what they have to deal with. I think that's part of it too. But yeah, the journey, the journey's just never given up. So is this the first novel that you've published? It is. It's the first novel I've published. And Congratulations. Thank you, honey. Thank you very much. And I'm not sure. I, I've I've had so many different versions of it. When we lived in Memphis, I went back and um, I went to University of Memphis and got my MFA. And that was a great thing. Carrie Holiday, who is another writer I'm going to send you <laughs> information about. I can't um, wait. I know. I've got a list. She was great there. And she helped me a lot with the fiction. And so I got the MFA there. And my this novel was my thesis. And I had, I think it was in like first person and people, they were like, why don't you change it to third person? You know, it would be better, you know, you could do more of a third person with it. And so I did. So it's been in all tenses. It's been past tense, present tense, first person, you know, third person, which has helped it, helped it along. And the basic story didn't change, but, you know, I would send agent query, you know, send the New York thing. And I, I came close a couple of times, but nothing. And so, but I kept, I, you know, I, I'd work on stories and got a couple of stories published at um, Appalachian Review uh, has a story and then still the journal, another, uh, that's an online journal that I really like, but it was like, I the pandemic started, right? How many years ago? It seems like a hundred was, I don't, you know, and things shut down. And I don't, even with everything I've told you about how, what I was doing all these years, I don't think I really realized what it took to finish the book, to really get focused until everything shut down. And I couldn't, you know, 
It was like you couldn't do social obligations. You, you had to stare at it. You had to go home. Yeah, you had to stay. You couldn't. Well, gee, I guess I should go help them move or go to lunch or something. You know, you couldn't. And it was like that really put you in the chair and put me with the people and made me really focused. And I think I didn't realize just how much you had to stay shut down to complete the book. And that's just me. Some people, I mean, I know people have busy, busy lives and they write incredible literature. And But for me, it really helped to have to completely shut down. And so I, I was doing it. I was kind of working on it. And then I saw this email or Facebook post or something from Main Street Rag Publishing in Charlotte and looking for chap- novel chapters. And you know, I was like, well, what have I got to lose? Nothing. You know, so I'll just send them 50 pages, whatever. And then I got an email back a few weeks later saying, we're interested in publishing your novel. And then it was like, wow, I got to get in there and change some names and do some stuff. I've got to think about this thing. Whoa. But um, that was a wonderful thing. It was a wonderful gift. It's a small press in Charlotte, M. Scott Douglas. And I really love that my North Carolina story is published by North Carolina Press. And of course, you know, pros and cons for small presses, you're, you're, it was, but for me, it was great. I mean, um, my husband and I designed the cover with Scott's help, but it's this beautiful. Email, I think so. Yeah. I don't know why I'm showing this on the radio. There's, there's a big ostrich on the front. The name of the book is South of Heaven. South of Heaven. It's got an emu on it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's an emu. It's an emu. No, that's okay. That's okay. I'm not but up on the birds. I wouldn't think ostriches were native, but I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Well, they're, yeah, it's close. It's close. But, but it's, um, but it, it was, it's been a great experience working with Scott and doing it through the press like that. Well, you said one thing that, made me want to ask this question. So are any of these characters based on people in your life? Oh, wow. It's, there's one character and this, this friend of mine said, I know who you are. (laughs) And then when she told me, I was like, no, no." I guess there's, you know, there's bits and pieces, you know, there, there, there are people, people I've known in my life, you know, that have come through my life, little, little bits and pieces of it. Yeah. And did I change think, some names though. Yeah. I did have to change mm-hmm. some names. So that means. Well, I had, well, I had this character that's not really likable and I had a name and then I thought, Oh God, I can't call her that. That's one of my best friends, you know, a good friend of mine's name. It's not her. So just things like that. But yeah, I think you can't help but have a little bit of yourself and everybody. Um, it's like I have a, a preacher in the book, and I told the book club the other day, it's like I think that, you know, a, a part of me, a little secret part of me, I always wished I was a preacher. You know, I used to line my dolls up and preach to them. And so this doing this book gave me an opportunity to, to, um, to be a preacher. <laughs> Oh, to explore that side of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. It was fun. That's, it's really fun. Oh, wow. That's really cool. 
Well, do you have a few minutes that you would like to read out of? I thought I'd just read the beginning. Please do whatever you want to. Okay. 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 South of heaven. And the book is done. um, Every chapter is from a different character's point of view. Well, from a, a certain character's point of view. Fern has chapters. Her son, Dean, has chapters, and Fern's sister, Leona, has chapters. That gave me a chance to um, to kind of have their point of view and their voice heard more clearly to tell the story. Um, so anyway, it starts out with Fern's, Fern's chapter. Time lingered more than past in the sand hills of North Carolina, where no ancient mountains or ocean tides marked the days. The sand hills lay low, midway between flatland, where in summer acres of lank leaf tobacco flourish in spite of its fall from grace. A Venetian blind sagged over the front window of the Citizen Times. Fern McQueen was careful with the tattered pole. Every morning she expected the string to unravel in her hand. Across the way on the courthouse lawn, her son sat on a granite bench tucked beneath a white oak the bench a memorial to her husband, Mac, missing in action since the Vietnam War. Dean visited the bench most mornings before clocking in at Frank's garage. We talk, Mama, he said, in my head. Fern had tried to dissuade her son from telling people about these talks, knowing it only brought about more pity from the town of Carthage. But Dean was Dean. Her boy had no secrets. Fern had never held out hope Mac would be found alive. She'd known he was gone, maybe even before the earnest men in stiff uniforms said missing in action, and that was 26 years ago. With the dogwoods declaring spring, tired Christmas lights still dangled from worn cords along the flat roofline of the Moore County Courthouse. The lights remained year-round, being too much trouble to take down and put back up. Surely the strands had been replaced, but in Fern's mind, they were the same ones that glowed red and green years ago on that snowy December night that changed everything. It was as if every way she turned, a monument stood to all she could not undo. Fern stepped back from the window so as not to be seen by other early risers making their way to work. She knew plenty in town, thought her standoffish but she was mostly only wary of attention. She fiddled with a tortoiseshell clip slipping from her hair. Forty-six was too old for a ponytail, too old for hair that fell halfway down her back, but Fern had never gotten around to cutting it. Premature gray sneaked through the black like an omen. Soon she would wind her hair in a bun and declare herself a crone and be done with it. She settled into her unsteady chair that was more apt to tilt than swivel and found the daily email from Thompson Funeral Home to get a start on the obituaries. Eileen Robinson. Good riddance. Eileen had been one of her daddy's high school girlfriends and hadn't liked it one bit when he eloped with Matilda Moore from Red Springs. Fern suspected Eileen had made it her mission to spread the worst gossip about her parents. Not that either one of them ever missed a chance to cause a scene. Now gossip sold newspapers. Even the front page of the Citizen Times featured a picture of President Clinton and that pretty intern. Stories about the president's alleged affairs 
printed in black and white on the front page, rattled Fern. That kind of mess had been going on since the beginning of time. How come reporters wanted to talk about it all of a sudden? Her new boss, Robert, maintained revealing the scandal broke new ground for freedom of speech and ushered in a new era of accountability. She'd ask him if he was familiar with the National Enquirer. We're talking about the truth, Fern, he'd said. Everybody knows he's a hound dog. I can't believe you're defending him. But it wasn't the hound dog she was defending. Fern pitied the girl, her dalliance in 24-point font for all to see. Fern recognized innocence in her young star-struck brown eyes, innocence and need, a cruel combination. And Fern knew how a young mistake could mark a life. Ooh, we bringing in Bill and Monica into this? <laughs> it's said in 1998. I love it. And the and it's like I didn't I did that because I really wanted uh Fern's husband Mac to be missing in the Vietnam War and I didn't want too much time well, we to couldn't make it too much later, yeah. Yeah. And so um and then it was like, you know, the novel is so much about kind of burying the truth and kind of stretching it a little bit and you know what we do the things we do and um then it was like oh my word it was 1998 <laughs> and and for and that was something that was you know we were talking about earlier about characters revealing things when fern said that and said that about how she felt for the girl how she knew you know how what that her life yeah yes how you're right. It was like, oh, wow. Okay, here we go. But you know what? She's got a purse line now and I hear Monica's doing great. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> I know she was funny on Twitter. I don't know if she's still on Twitter, but she was great on Twitter for a while. Um, I, I tell you, I would not want anything I did at her age to be on the front page of the newspaper, you know? It's like, uh, not at least half of what I did. It. Exactly. I don't even want anything now to be on the front page. Well, it's interesting because you're, you, you talk from the perspective of like, I guess the wife of a news director and you've worked in, have you also worked in news? I worked in promote promotion and marketing. I was the one telling, I was the one writing the things like, uh, watch our news, watch our news. <laughs> the so, only place you can trust. Yes. Yes. We're making a difference. That was I'm our so big fair. <laughs> making a difference. The fall of newspapers has really hurt local television news because usually the newspapers would have more investigative uh, people that going on and so in the in the television newsrooms back in the day we'd get the newspapers and see you know and get our news from get a lot of information from that and then when the newspapers started folding up and getting run by somewhere else and all that kind of thing it it really yeah. hurt well where can people find your book Oh, thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. It's such, it's a, the small press. Um, one of the challenges is like, you, if you just go into any bookstore, they can't even order it because it's not like on this Ingram thing where bookstores get any book, but it's at Malaprops in Asheville. It's um, on, uh, it's at McIntyre's in uh, 
where I live down here in Chapel Hill. It's in Galax at Chapters. <laughs> I love ch Chapters and Sharon. I just, it, that's such a great bookstore. You can order it off Amazon. And when you order it from Amazon, I get the order and I come down here in my little office and I get a book and put it in an envelope and mail it to you. So it's like, um, it'll be touched by the author. It'll be touched by the author <laughs> and driven to the post office, you know? Oh so. my God. It'll take a ride <laughs> in your car too. Exactly. It's just like a, what is that? Do it yourself. DIY, DIY yeah. or whatever. Do it DIY. yourself. You got it. Yeah. Publishing. <laughs> You can learn more about Patty Fry Meredith at pattymeredith.com or head over to AppalachianVibes.net for more information. Coming up, it's Wilson Springs Hotel from Richmond, Virginia. That's next on Appalachian Vibes from WNCW. My last guest is the Wilson Spring Hotel, Richmond, Virginia's bluegrass band. I'm Jacob Ritter. I play guitar and harmonica mostly in the band and write a lot of the lyrics and uh yeah we're the wilson springs hotel from richmond virginia yeah my name is victor mcmanus and i play electric guitar and acoustic guitar and banjo and i'm jacob corona i play the bass i play both electric and upright upright as of a few months ago so what style of music do you guys play i'd say it's like a very strong mix of pretty there's a lot of roots of traditional bluegrass um there's also there's also just very traditional country that happens and then a lot of just our own mix of like modern rock and folk and some indie rock vibes as well how long have you guys been playing together the three of us have been playing together for probably five years now Oh, wow. going on six i met victor as a randomly assigned roommate in college and didn't really play music at that point and then Jacob over here came over one day while I was eating eggs <laughs> and they had a hot bluegrass jam and the rest is history. Yeah. We, <laughs> me and Jacob met in a government class in our first semester at college and I learned, he learned that I play banjo and I told him and he said that he played guitar and I really wanted to jam with him. And that was like my first time playing banjo with a guitar player who knew how to play bluegrass. And I like that kind of a lot of things clicked from there in like 2016. We all met at VCU in Richmond. I was a transfer student there. So I was a year and a half older, like into my sophomore, junior year. And they were freshmen and we just like met and started playing. And cause I had grown up playing bluegrass with my brother. He's a banjo player. And we grew up in Middlebrook right outside of Stanton. Um, and then, so when I went there, like I didn't know anybody in Richmond and, he was like, yeah, play banjo. And it was like, well, we need that. Like, I need that. And we're like, we need that. We need to do this, you know? And like, it's just crazy because here we all are. Like, we're all continuing to say to each other, like, I think we've said more times in the last month, like, it's been five years. So, like, can't believe we're doing this, you know? So, this is a really cool, this is a special time. How did these songs start to grow and what were they born from? Well, I, uh... I was in a relationship in Canada and was going to move there and, you know, before COVID happened and everything like that. And there was like a few songs starting to be written, maybe like three 
um, from the record we're going to put out in October. And then with COVID happening, not ended up going to Canada and relationships, you know, take their toll on with that. So just kind of became this story of like refinding home. I like that happened with COVID started. I was at my parents' house in the Valley and I hadn't spent enough time there to see a season come through again and like experience like life back in the Valley for a second. And it was like not much money going on and COVID happening and moving back to Richmond and all these super internal intense moments where you're like, wow, like you're getting a second chance at doing a lot of things that you love and you're giving it up for a love that's pretty intense, you know? So it's like, these moments of like self-reflection of becoming something that you really want to do, but having to give up like something that you're never going to get to find out what it was going to be. Um, cause I never got to go. And then moving back to Richmond, you have like your best friends who are going to play the music with you that we all love together. And without this, without them and the band, like, the songs are what they are but it's the five of us that are make them all what it is and it's like we all get to tell the story of like a found love and a lost love at the same time there's a sparkle on the lake that I'm seeing through your blonde hair in the breeze And we drove the miles Head up north To Magneto One Where we found the place To hang our hats And to love someone And I'm singing
find the space where our love can keep on growing. Will we face the day when this just becomes too broken? Will we reach the days when we can finally be together? And when they come, do you think this will even last forever? And I'm singing, oh me, oh holy mighty you Where we were to where we are today Once you learned that the border had been shut down, what place did that send you to? How did you react, knowing you weren't going to be able to reach the person you were in love with. I um, frantically packed my entire minivan with every single thing that I was going to take. I was selling my bed and a chair, so I didn't need the things that were left in my room. He was, we were roommates, Victor and I, and I subleased my room. I was like working on doing that. Subleased the room, packed everything into my van so full that literally I just had enough to see out my side mirror. And like, that was it. Like I could see throughout the window and I had my driver's seat. That was all you could do. That's all the person could fit in the van. And I was like, I'm just going to go home for a few days and like set at my parents and then I'm going to like go, you know, and like in the meantime, of course, they close the border, but it was a frantic thought. And like, yeah, I was like, felt the whole community that I had in Richmond for four years was like, not saying that. It, our time has kind of come to a close because I was leaving, but I felt that's a, that's how it felt. You know, it's like you're leaving. That's it. You know, like you're gone. Now. You're going to be gone. You're not going to play music here all the time. You're not going to be in the scene as much. So like it felt that started feeling that feeling started to happen before I even left where it was like, Oh, you're on your way out. And it was just bye. bye. And, um, that was the weirdest feeling in my life because it was like some, you know, like not that we ever treated each other poorly, but it was definitely like, dude, you know, there was moments of like, I got to do me right now, you know? And it's like, there's no harm. nobody's fault in that, but it's just weird when for three, four years, I mean, it's like the three of us thick and, you know, through anything, no matter what. And then it was like, we were all, I mean, yeah, maybe it was like my decision to go there first, but we were all doing things for ourselves. We're, you know, 20 some years old where it's like your own ego clicks in and you graduating from college and we're buddies who did things influenced by each other for so long. But then it was just like, you know, you're 22, doing mine, doing me, you know, and that was it. And that's all, I mean, like to an extent we all did it, you know, we all, everybody in the world does that, but it's like, it's weird. You know, that's a weird feeling. And then when it didn't happen, you know, I remember saying to Victor, like, I remember specifically saying to my parents' driveway on the phone, like, I don't want you to think that I didn't, like, value all the things that we ever had or, like, play. And, like, you know, we had had that conversation in February with you at the round the table. And it was, like, one thing to be people in their young mid-20s 
to one emotionally be able to like push past the things that the three of us together have like pushed through, whether it was my relationship or his or whatever, like his situations, like all of our like things that brought us to like what you think might be wit's end. It's like, this one seemed so big. Like I'm going to move to Canada. Everything's going to be different, you know, just to fall back into the two people that needed to be there the whole time. Personally, it's like, I, you can't ask for anybody better than that. That can pick you up in a moment where you're like, I'm lost, man. Like this sucks. Well, I saw my home there in a different light. With so many stars and a sparkle in your eye Just take a look around, it's just a pain in the skies Well, the ridge goes on forever Straight as an arrow, there's a cut along And most of the family thinks there's trout in the stream But there's not I'm in love with walking down an old road I'm in awe with thinking for myself And we all love the sound of the river It's the Shenandoah Valley I love best It's the Shenandoah Valley I love best the border shut did you guys break up five-ish weeks took like a month was it due to not being able to see each other or had it i mean you're about to move there four days later an illness strikes the whole world and then you guys break up after just a few after right after you're about to move there how does that happen it went from zero to a hundred and really fast it was like you got to come now and I was like, uh, I can't, like I couldn't legally go like some like 
single dude with like a minivan full of crap and like about to get a visa like you know we don't need another unemployed like american in our country like that's just that's not gonna work man and uh so i was you know it's like and like i was scared like we were like covid was it was so scary at first like all these you know people were like so many people a day were were dying i was like in my head i was like you're safe at home with your folks and up, up there and i'm here with my folks for a second like these you can do is just like hang off like we've been doing this for over a year like i know it's not ideal but one month you know and it just every day it just got like worse and worse and then like really true things just like true true colors that i would have probably found out standing in a living room in Montreal that would have been really intense and i think because this all happened it ramped up those types of conversations and like you said like the reunion of it all like for me it's like all of that happened and like those days came out the way they did and when we play a show like every time Every time we stand on the stage, like last night again, it's like, that's what it's like. This is why, this is why we're, this is why those days played out like they did because this is, so, this is the most special thing that I've ever experienced. That was Wilson Springs Hotel with Call It Home. You can learn more about the Wilson Springs Hotel at thewilsonspringshotel.com. Thank you to my guests this week. A special thanks to Palmyra the Band for the intro and outro music. You can catch up on any past episode at AppalachianVibes.net or on your favorite podcasting platform. Appalachian Vibes is brought to you by Galax Tourism, made possible by Virginia is for Lovers. Galax Tourism, building our future while celebrating our past. You can learn more about Galax at visitgalax.com. I'm Amanda Baki. Have a beautiful week, and I'll see y'all next Saturday for an all-new episode of Appalachian Vibes from WNCW.